You're listening to part two of Uncle Frederick's campfire story. Enjoy. When Gordon Klotzendorf got to the library, the main area was full of scholars milling about, drinking wine out of plastic cups, and snacking on cheese and crackers. Gordon overheard one elderly man complaining about his students. I just lecture the whole time. The students have absolutely nothing to say. Teaching is a bit like demolishing their cardboard brains with a sledgehammer and installing a prefabricated home. He laughed at his own joke. Gordon walked on, looking for Professor Greenleaf. Ah, there you are, came a voice from his left. It was the professor. Let me introduce you to my friend, Dr. Philip Whittier. Gordon found himself shaking hands with a handsome and fashionably dressed man. Wonderful scholarship, Gordon, said Dr. Whittier. Emerald was telling me all about your accomplishments. Thank you, sir, said Gordon. It was just a stroke of luck that I came across this poem. And do you think the final word is unicorn? asked Dr. Whittier curiously. Perhaps it's bighorn or Texas longhorn. <laughs> He's just joking, of course, explained Professor Greenleaf. How could a medieval scribe know anything about Texas longhorns? It could be the whole thing is a forgery, said Dr. Whittier. But hold on, my car is buzzing me. He looked at his phone. Apparently, I parked it illegally. I'll have to move it. Then Gordon had a flash of inspiration. I'll park it for you, he almost shouted. Parking on campus is a nightmare, but I can find you a spot. Excellent, said Dr. Whittier. You are continually full of surprises. Here's the key fob. Just a warning, though, my car is a bit temperamental. Then Gordon took off, first at a brisk walking pace, then sprinting as soon as he was out of the library. He found Dr. Whittier's car at the bottom of the library steps. A parking attendant was just noting down the license plate number. I'll take that, shouted Gordon, and he ripped the page from his clipboard. The parking attendant was too surprised to know what to do. Gordon was in such a hurry that only then did he realize that Dr. Whittier's car was a bright orange Lamborghini. Even better, thought Gordon, as the driver's side door opened automatically for him. Wow, whispered Gordon. I wonder how Professor Whittier can afford a Lamborghini. A rude question, said a voice from the car's dashboard. But if you must know, Professor Whittier's family made their fortune operating hunting lodges on the Serengeti. Gordon was startled. The car was actually speaking to him. This must be a very advanced model. But then Dr. Whittier had mentioned that the car had actually messaged him. Hi there, he said awkwardly. Sorry I was rude. I hold no grudges, only passengers, said the car. Great, said Gordon. Now, I'm supposed to repark you in a better spot, but I'm guessing you already know how to drive yourself. You are cleverer than I gave you credit for, said the car. It sounded pleased, as if it liked being recognized for its abilities. Gordon hesitated. Then he said, 
Would you mind if we took a little detour first? I have to ask someone a question. You can ask me if you like. I have access to the internet. It's not that sort of question, said Gordon. Aha, said the car in a tone of surprise. The young man is in love. That explains the air of desperation, the look of panic in the eye, the feverish brow, the tremor in the voice. Courtly love is all Gordon could say. Even better, courtly love is the greatest love there is. Let me make a calculation as to whether my owner would approve, said the car. I could message him and ask, but he insists that I'm my own boss and that I should develop my potential to the fullest. Now, love is a good cause, but there is the cost of fuel. I can pay, said Gordon. What about the environmental impact? I won't drive too fast. Ah, but love leads to romance, which leads to marriage, which leads to children, which increases the carbon footprint substantially. But what do you care about the carbon footprint? You're a Lamborghini. That doesn't mean I don't have a conscience. This is taking too long, said Gordon. I have to ask Chloe before Brock can get to her. The car whistled. You have a rival. How exciting. Now we're talking. Tell me where to go. This should be fun. Gordon shook his head in wonder. He felt like he was in some crazy story and things were getting weirder all the time. But they are, Uncle Frederick, interrupted Katie. Do go on, though. What happened next? Well, continued Uncle Frederick, a minute or two later... Gordon found himself driving up to the gymnasium where Chloe was having her volleyball practice. She should be coming out any moment, he thought. He hoped he wasn't too late. I see her, he shouted, and there she was walking to the bus stop, carrying her gym bag. Time to select your arrival, said the car. You can pick from the following options. Smooth glide, screeching halt, or smoking hot finish. Any preference? What would you advise? asked Gordon, who thought it best to flatter the car as much as possible. Well, smoking hot is the obvious choice, but I'm not sure that's the look you're going for. Smooth glide suits you better, though since your rival appears to be pulling up ahead of us, a little smoke may not be out of order. Oh no, cried Gordon as Brock's Audi stopped just ahead of Chloe. He could see her stop and then come over to his window. Oh, no, repeated Gordon. This is clearly an emergency, agreed the car. But not to worry, I'm a Lamborghini, not an Austin Mini. Chloe had nearly reached Brock's car when she suddenly saw a flash of orange, and then Brock's Audi was enveloped in smoke. As she looked up, she noticed the Lamborghini and heard a voice speaking to her. Hi, Chloe, yelled Gordon. Want a ride home? Oh, hi, Gordon, she said, walking over. What are you doing here? I was just driving by and I thought I would ask you if you wanted a ride home. Minor correction, interrupted the car. I was doing the driving. Let's not create any misunderstandings. Chloe laughed. What a strange car, she said. Is it yours? 
Just then, Brock started honking his horn. The smoke had cleared, and he was mad. Jump in, and I'll tell you, said Gordon. So Chloe sat down in the passenger seat, and off they sped. Address, please, said the car. Chloe gave her address. Not too far, said the car. We should be back at the university library in 15 minutes. A bit long for a regular parking job, but I'm sure you won't be missing much. Thanks, said Gordon. But Chloe asked, what is he talking about? Oh, him, don't mind him. He belongs to Dr. Whittier, who has come to Professor Greenleaf's unicorn conference. I was parking him and just happened to see you walking by, so I thought I would give you a lift. The Lamborghini chuckled. That's great, said Chloe. I'm happy to be rid of that annoying Brock Spencer. Fantastic, shouted Gordon. I mean, that's very interesting. What do you mean? He means, interrupted the car, that he is deeply interested in the study of jealousy and its causes. Do you always talk this much? asked Gordon, trying to change the subject. It is my current setting. You can pick from five different ones, all the way from stone-dead silent to plain annoying. Let me guess, you're on the highest setting. That would be correct, but before you try to change it, let me warn you that your friend is coming up behind us. Chloe and Gordon looked back. There was Brock Spencer tailing them closely. They could see the anger on his face. I think he would like to race, said the car. Gordon frowned, but Chloe yelled, Let's do it! Can I drive? This was a surprise to Gordon, but then he actually knew very little about Chloe. Apparently she had quite the competitive streak. I want to beat that sucker, cried Chloe. She waved at Brock and smiled. One minor problem, said Gordon. You're not in the driver's seat. Not a problem, said the car. I will go into self-drive mode while you switch seats. Then Gordon and Chloe played a complicated game of Twister. Somehow they managed to exchange seats. While they were all tangled up and Chloe's knee was sticking into his stomach, Gordon thought about giving her a kiss. But by the time he puckered his lips, she was nearly past him and he ended up with a mouthful of hair. Ow! What are you doing? cried Chloe. Just trying to get your hair out of my face, said Gordon. Sorry, said Chloe. Just then, Brock Spencer had pulled up beside them in his Audi. They had come to the edge of town, and the road stretched ahead of them, lonely and deserted, as the evening fog was drifting in from the fields. Then Brock and Chloe engaged in a kind of elaborate sign language, the kind that is never taught in school, but which comes naturally to people of a certain competitive bend. Brock pointed at himself and Chloe before signaling ahead. Chloe nodded and then wiggled her fingers in front of her nose. Then Chloe stuck out her tongue and stepped on the gas pedal. Gordon was thrown back in his seat. What have I got myself into, he thought, holding on for dear life. This is amazing, cried Chloe, as they started to pull ahead of Brock Spencer. We're going to win. But where is the finish line, asked Gordon. I don't know. 
we just stay ahead for a while and show him that his car sucks and so does he. I'm sorry to interrupt, said the car, but there is one minor problem. I've just received a message that we're needed back at the conference. What's happening? asked Gordon. He had completely forgotten about the unicorn manuscript. Apparently, said the car, there is a scholar who is casting doubt on the credibility of the manuscript, claims it is a forgery and not from the Middle Ages at all. Gordon started to sweat. He had been worried about this for a while now. After all, he was in a good position to know whether it was a forgery or not. He had created the manuscript himself with the help of an old calligraphy set and a bunch of tea bags. This is bad news, he said. We have to turn around and go back. I can't let Professor Greenleaf be embarrassed like this. But he is so boring, said Chloe, and we're having fun. I know, but I can't just throw him to the lions. It wouldn't be right. They were still whizzing past fields and farms. Somehow Brock Spencer had been making up ground and was almost beside them now. How can he be so fast? asked Chloe. This is a Lamborghini. Ah, said the car, I am still in safety mode. Just a precaution for guests. What? yelled Chloe. Now you're going to get beaten by a lousy Audi. Not a problem, said the car. My advanced radar system tells me he's about to hit a deer. In ten, nine, eight. A what? cried Gordon and Chloe at the same time. A young deer crossing the road right now. They heard the screech as Brock Spencer slammed on the brakes. Gordon and Chloe felt themselves slowing down too. There was the deer calmly strolling across the road. Suddenly it looked up, startled. Brock's Audi was sliding towards it. Somehow Brock managed to avoid hitting the deer full on. He just clipped it and the deer crumpled down. Chloe started crying. Oh no, she said. It's Bambi. She put her head in her hands. They slowed to a stop. It was at this moment that Gordon had an idea. It is a strange fact of life that our best thinking happens at the oddest times. While Chloe had been speeding like a maniac, Gordon had sat frozen in his seat. Now Chloe was sobbing, Yet Gordon felt a rush of excitement at the thoughts whirling through his brain. Perhaps this is how people are meant for each other, he mused. Marriage is simply a question of crisis management. As long as one partner hasn't lost their marbles, things will be just fine. He was feeling better already. He whispered something to the car before jumping out and running to the injured deer. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw Brock getting out of his vehicle. He looked to be unharmed. The deer was lying quite still, as if in a daze. It was bleeding a little. Gordon saw right away what was wrong. It had a cut on its neck. Hey, Brock, said Gordon. Let me borrow your shirt. I have to bind up this wound. Brock normally did not mind taking off his shirt, but this time it took some persuading. You know how much I paid for this basketball jersey? Too much, probably. At least it's a Bucks jersey, which makes it perfect. Fine, scowled Brock.
Then Gordon used the shirt as a bandage and tied it around the deer's neck. That should do for now. I got the car to phone a wildlife officer. If you could stay with the deer till then, that would be great. What? Where are you going? Another emergency, said Gordon. Then he quickly took a vial from his pocket and collected some of the deer's blood that had pooled on the ground. What are you doing? said Brock. I collect deer blood, doesn't everyone? He laughed and ran back to the car. See you, he yelled. Then he climbed in and said, Good to go. The Lamborghini took off. Gordon explained to Chloe that the deer would be fine, but that they had to do something important. I need your help, he said. You don't have to say anything. I just need you to come to the conference for a moment. Sounds like you're in trouble. A little, but nothing that can't be fixed. By the way, I really wanted to ask you out for a date. Well, consider this your first date. I hope the ending is worth it. Gordon laughed. Somehow his nervousness had left him, and he felt that no matter what would happen, he had found an inner strength and confidence that he never knew he had. A few minutes later, they walked into the library. They could hear Professor Greenleaf talking nervously. I am still convinced, he said, that this manuscript is an important discovery, though I will admit I too have some questions. Ah, there is my student Gordon Klotzendorf. Gordon, perhaps you can shed some light on this. Not everyone is convinced that this is from the Middle Ages. Gordon looked around at all the professors who had gathered around the manuscript. Gordon looked around at all the professors who had gathered around the manuscript. I cannot speak to the exact dating, he said, but I do have a new idea. I now believe that the final word of the poem is written in invisible ink. Gordon paused dramatically. It is my theory, he continued, that only the blood of the animal in question can reveal what is written on the page. But that is impossible to test, objected one of the scholars. Without any unicorns, there cannot be any unicorn blood. Ah, said Gordon, but we have all been assuming that the animal is a unicorn. But what if it is actually a deer? He pulled the vial of blood out of his pocket and held it up for all to see. I have here some fresh blood from a deer. Not to worry, the deer is fine. Now, according to medieval legend, any secret like this can only be revealed if the blood is poured onto the page by a young maiden, pure in body and spirit. I have here for you such a maiden. He beckoned Chloe to come a little closer. Chloe, would you do the honors? Then Chloe took the vial of blood and poured a few drops onto the manuscript. All the professors took a step closer. There is something about youth, beauty, and confidence that can entrance even the oldest skeptics. Gordon pulled out a white glove and a small brush. Like a magician, he brushed the blood across the page. I will read the poem now that it is complete, he said. In the darkest forest wilds you will find a creature mild, so elusive and so rare, 
one can only dream and stare. And it will not e'er come near, for it lives in greatest fear, and it wanders all forlorn, for it is a tear. As you can see, there was the word all along, and only a deer's blood, poured by a maiden, could produce this miracle. Wonderful, shouted Professor Greenleaf, and it all makes sense now. The word deer rhymes with fear. It lives in greatest fear, for it is a deer. The poem is all a trick to make us think about unicorns. Then everyone wanted to take a closer look, and many a scholar shook Gordon's hand and slapped him on the shoulder. Well done, said Dr. Whittier. You are a most clever young man. If you are in need of a job this summer, give me a call. He had a curious smile on his face. Thanks, said Gordon. I'll think about it, but now I have to bring Chloe home. Then Chloe was about to say that she did have legs and could walk herself, but she thought better of it. Gordon Klotzendorf was an interesting fellow. His nose was a bit too big for his face, and he was somewhat wiry, but he had a certain quality that was hard to put into words. It was something about not losing his marbles, and if she had to explain him to her mother, she would have said that he was a bit like invisible ink. At first you might not notice, but when he made an entrance it was pure magic. And that, said Uncle Frederick, is the end of my story. I hope you've enjoyed it, because the stars are out, and I really need to pee. What? said Iris. Those things have nothing to do with each other. Yes, but they distracted you enough that you didn't have time to criticize the story. Ah, oh, said Iris. I have lots of questions, but right now I'd like to curl up in my sleeping bag and get some rest. Good idea, said Uncle Frederick. And so they all got ready for bed. They said good night to Dow Jones and promised to have a great time together in the morning. And if you tune in next time, you'll find out if they did. Mm -hmm.